Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Drip. Everybody, uh, welcome back to the Leadership Drip. Uh, Jeff, we have what I consider and who I consider a world-class leadership guru with us today, and I'm really excited to have Dr. Sam Chand on the show. So thank you so much, Dr. Chand, for being on. Appreciate you. Oh, wow. Uh, guru. Yes. <laughs> guru, yeah. You so, heard it here first. So, <laughs> Dr. Chan, we were having a, a sort of planning discussion out a couple, couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. And I said, Rob, give me somebody you went on the show and you were the first name off his list. He's like, we got to talk to this we got, guy. We got to talk to Sam Chan. That's, well, we obviously, obviously, Rob lives a very sheltered life. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and obviously, Rob has been quarantined for a very, very long time. <laughs> That's probably true, but doesn't change the fact that you are a leadership guru. Yeah. Now, well, you, now you can add that to one of your books or your titles. Uh, per Rob Fultz. Per, per me. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so, Sam, just right off the bat, you got this incredible story of how you were a student at Beulah Heights University as a janitor, working as a janitor, and eventually you become president of that university. Can you just share the short version of that story? How do you go from janitor to college president? Well, I had so many stories on all of them because janitor knows more about an organization than anybody else. And I just blackmailed every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a short version, but let me okay. give you the long version. <laughs> so I came to America from, United, uh, from India in 1973 and United States was going through a very bad recession at that time, 1974. I didn't have a job, could not get a job, could not even get a work permit. So the university gave me the opportunity to be their breakfast cook, dishwasher, and janitor. So I'd get up every morning at four o'clock, uh, cook breakfast for the Americans. They would come and eat. I'd wash their dishes, then join them in class at 8.30. And from 8.30 to 12.30 was class. And then lunch, wash dishes from lunch, and then uh, put on my janitor uniform and go <clears throat> and do what janitors do. Picking up trash, plunging toilets, uh, sweeping sidewalks, mopping floors, painting walls, whatever needs to happen. That was from 1973 to 1977. And uh, I graduated from there, did a bunch of other stuff in 1989. I was pastoring a church in Michigan. I was married, I had two children, and I got a call from the chairman of the board saying, our president just resigned, uh, would you be interested? And one thing led to the other and I ended up back at Beulah Heights University as their president. So uh, I, just, I just want everyone to know that the only time you start at the top is when you're digging a hole. Mm. <laughs> Apart good. from that, everybody's gonna start at the bottom. It's, it's really crazy, uh, Rob and Jeff. I travel different parts of the world or used to travel <laughs> different parts of the world. And people would uh, say to me, you know, I wanna do what you do. Uh, you know, one day I'm gonna do, and, and I wanna say to every one of them, you have no idea <laughs> uh, the, the slog and the plodding and yeah. on and on that it takes to uh, keep uh, faithfully serving the Lord in whatever capacity he has you in. And he has plans for your life, but you know, you have to cooperate by applying yourself. And, and I just uh, is amazed how people want to start at the fifth or the sixth rung of the ladder and don't understand the first, second, third rung. So, you know, people see me in, in different places now and 
Uh, Rob, when you talked about, I came to Lee University to speak. People see me on platforms and uh, somehow crazy things, the thinking goes on, they think, well, you know, there he is. No, he didn't get there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a long slogging journey. And so, yeah, the short version is God been faithful. And I've just uh, been honored to be given op opportunities that I don't deserve, but yeah. thank God for it. I think it's an interesting kind of <clears throat> conversation to have, you know, obviously, you know, on, on the campus here, our, our major contacts is young adults, Gen Z students, right? And um, one of the big sort of words, keywords that we use a lot with this generation is building that resiliency. And I mean, some things change, some things never change. Hard work never changes. Um, using your time wisely never changes. And it's so cool, you know, that you kind of talk about starting. I think that's a unique part of your story that makes um, that makes you very relatable to so many different audiences because um, because you didn't start off at the top. You weren't you weren't necessarily born into, you know, a family or a, a leadership reality that was just handed to you. And so you've carved out your space through hard work, through grinding, through resiliency. And I think that's such an important conversation to have with this generation. I mean, so you're an author, you're a speaker. Uh, I love this description. You're a leadership architect and uh, you've done a lot, but right now what you do explicitly and exclusively is leadership, right? I mean, that's, that's your, that's your passion, that's your love and, and you want to help others succeed. So um, I think this conversation then on resiliency, maybe what are some of those key lessons you've learned along the way about sticking with it or sticking through it? or overcoming it? Oh boy, that reminds me, I was 26, just started pastoring my first church in, uh, in Michigan. Before that, I was a youth pastor in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I had just started pastoring my church and I was uh, at a church conference for our denomination. And I was talking to an elderly uh, gentleman who was uh, the leader of our organization and his name was Dr. Chester Miller. He was a former missionary from Brazil, uh, American, but from Brazil. And I'm there in the parking lot with the leader of my organization. And I said to him, uh, Brother Miller, I have just started pastoring this church. What advice would you give me? And he says to me, he said a sentence to me that kind of left me like, ah, is that all? And I was looking for something deep, profound, but you know, the older I've got, the more sense it makes. And this is what Chester Miller, Dr. Chester Miller said to me. He said, Sam, live long, live clean. And I think that's resilience in a nutshell. Live long, live clean. Mm. By live long, he meant the longer you live and you serve the Lord faithfully, uh, You'll have opportunities that you never even thought you would have. I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing today. I'm the, I'm the biggest accident you've ever seen. <laughs> you know, I want to tell you, there's nothing in my life that was planned. What I'm doing right now, talking to you all, uh, I mean, I consider this as a real honor because none, this is just like, whoa, really? They asked me to speak? That's pretty cool. Let me say yes before they say no, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that is, uh, that is how I live my life. But he said to me, live long, just live 
one foot in front of the other, Tuesday after Monday, Wednesday after Tuesday, Thursday after Wednesday, and live clean. Live clean. Don't try to get ahead. Don't finagle. Don't manipulate. Mm. Don't try to be in the right place at the right time, shaking the right people's hands. Mm. Bible tells us all increase comes from the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So that so I just lived by by those things. I I need to say to you guys, I was very disappointed when I walked away from him. Uh, I almost felt like that uh, rich young ruler. You know, it comes to Jesus said. <laughs> How can I have eternal life? And Jesus gave him an answer. And he just kind of walked away, disappointed, saying, whoa, is this all you've got? Yeah. You, should, you could have given me a three-step strategy or a book to read or taken me under your wings and mentored me. But no, you just said to me, live long, live clean. Oh, boy, I'm, I'm almost 69. And I can tell you, it makes a whole lot of sense what he meant then. Yeah. So everybody who's listening to me right now, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, Resilience is really all about those two things. <laughs> live long, live clean. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's profound and deep and simple all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you mentioned something you said you're, you, where you've gotten is by accident or sort of, you know, a fortunate set of circumstances. But what you're doing is obviously in line with God's gifted you to do. So how did that sort of pathway take shape in you discovering the gifts of God inside you, your gift for leadership, and the calling to help others with that? That has been a very incremental journey. I never, when I was growing up in school, I was never a leader. Uh, when we went to gym class and you know how the uh, gym teacher uh, gets two captains and they say, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. They go down the road. I was always the last one to be selected. I was never a leader. I was always a follower. Even in my, uh, uh, you know, friends that we'd ran around with, I was always a follower. I was never a leader. Uh, and then God started placing me in positions in which it started calling for gifts I did not know I had. Hmm. And very raw, very, very raw. And God has just been good to me like that. And he placed people in my life that I was able to follow and learn from. Uh, so I, I still remember, I still remember uh, when I was president of the university, uh, Dr. Tom Fortson, who was at that time the president of Promise Keepers, came to speak in chapel on our campus. So I was walking around the campus and stuff like that. And that's what presidents do. And and then I was walking him into the, into the chapel and he stopped me on the steps and he looked at me and he said, Sam, so tell me about when you became a leader. And I said, hmm, I'm a leader? Because you see, when I was going through uh, Bible college and seminary and stuff like that, uh, I can't ever remember having the word leadership mentioned, not once. So leadership was not my vocabulary. Performance was, mm. project completion was, church growth was, delegation was, but not leadership. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, not, my life has just been like, and I'm going to use the word in the positive sense. My life has been unraveling mm. mm -hmm. in a good way. Unraveling uh, inside inside of me just every day is a different day 
and then God places me in front of leaders and every conversation makes me better. You know, when I get off this podcast with you all, I'll be a better leader than I was when I got on it mm-hmm. because that's how, that's how my life has been for almost 69 years. And so I'm just grateful for stuff that makes no sense at that in the moment, but it all kind of, there's a heavenly father who's connecting the dots for us and the picture is emerging. I'm still a work in progress, but I'm glad that he's still connecting the dots. Yeah, we are too. We're we're really praying for him to connect a few dots for us, right? Yes, yes. We got some dots. (laughs) Got some dots in front of us. Do we we see a lot of dots? (laughs) But I think I think this leadership conversation and 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 in the last 25 years, especially across academia, there's been a, a much stronger emphasis in leadership studies, which you know, even here at Lee, we're we're pursuing, you know, those kinds of questions ourselves. But I think part of that is because in probably doing what you do, you see the leadership gaps and voids in in excruciating ways played out every single day in organizational structures, in ministries, in in home life, whatever the, the leadership reality is. So what are some of those big gaps you think facing the generation coming behind us, this Gen Z young adult generation, that maybe we need to look at or focus on in terms of helping them bridge those gaps? Uh, I think and, and everything I say is going to be biased because, you know, it's just my thinking on your question. First of all, I think educational institutions that are preparing women and men for ministry have to zero in a whole lot more on character, Mm. integrity, depth, righteousness, godliness, uh, fruit of the spirit, uh, more than we have done so far. So I want to say something that again, you know, I'm talking uh, to uh, to you all who uh, work on a academic campus. I think educational institutions, Christian educational institutions, especially in the last ten years, have done a fabulous job of turning out Christian CEOs mm. who happen to be pastors. Yeah, yeah, but not such a good job of turning out pastors. Who happen to be CEOs? Yeah. So I'm all I'm all for systems and structures. I've written books on systems and structures. You know, I'm all for culture. I've written books on culture. I mean, it's not like I'm against any of those, but I think this is not a chicken and egg question. This is a horse and cart question. Mm. And the horse is you are a pastor first. I, just just yesterday, just yesterday, I was consulting with a large church pastor from the. Uh, western part of our country and the church is booming i mean they've got all kinds of uh, locations uh, and sites and i asked him a question i said when you walk into your staff meeting into your elt dlt slt whatever t you call it when you walk into your staff meeting do your does your staff see you as a spiritual leader their pastor or the CEO as their corporate leader, their CEO. Because apart, my guess is, apart from your perfunctory, let's pray, mm. or maybe a five-minute devotional, 
the rest of your 90 minutes or however long you are in that meeting is taken up with stuff. What worked, what didn't work, who worked, who did not, who messed up, what we need to do, what we're going to do for camera angles and lights and heat and who's calling all the people not showing up and what's happening with money. And, and that conversation could be taking place in any corporate office in America or in the world for that matter. But do your people see you as a pastor, their spiritual leader first? Hmm. Or they see you as the visionary, mission-driven uh, corporate leader who's wanting to make sure that there's enough money, enough people, enough staff, enough facilities, that you are growing there. You have stakeholders and stockholders and shareholders that you report to in your annual business meetings and on and on like that. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm not against any of that. I'm simply saying, keep first things first. Mm. And the first thing is, if you're serving the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, he wants you to lead it as a spiritual leader first and corporate leader next. You need to be both. Every pastor, every pastor is both a CEO and a spiritual leader. Every pastor is that. I understand that. But I'd like for you to be more of the spiritual leader than a corporate leader. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense, but you are. Sense. And I've got a, I got a follow-up question to that um, because I feel like we err on one side or the other. So you mentioned the the pastor who is is mostly CEO, like, and and sort of driving it. They have a five in devotion. I feel like there's a a whole sect of people on the other side. They're mostly pastor, and they don't have the CEO capabilities to lead. Like they don't lead well. They preach and they love people and they shepherd well, but they don't lead well. So how do we kind of find the tension in the middle? You wrote a book called Harness or the Harnessing the Power of Tension. This seems to be one we have in the church of helping leaders be both and do both well, because it seems like they usually err on one side or the other. And, and they don't hold the tension of being a spiritual leader and a CEO and leadership on both sides. They, they don't seem to do both well. So that's a great question, Jeff. Uh, so the church leadership has to ask themselves one seminal question, and that is, what can we hire and what comes only as a calling? Mm. You can hire a CFO, you can hire an executive, you can hire a COO, you can hire a CMO, you can hire all of them. But the lead pastor has to have a calling. Mm -hmm. he, she cannot be a hireling. And I'm saying not using the word hireling in a pejorative way. I'm using it in a positive way. So a church has to say, what can we hire? And what can, has to be a calling. If the pastor is not called to that church, then I think the, the first domino cannot fall. Mm. Because it's your calling that makes you uh, empathetic. It's your calling that makes you pray for those people. It is your calling that is, uh, allows you to grow and mature the people and then the church. So, uh, so if I was in a church, I would say, let us hire everything else, but seek a pastor who feels called to us. Who has a, Because people have a calling to a place. People have a calling to a passion. People have a calling to a people. People have a calling to a purpose. So people have callings. And I, I'd like for pastors to think of that as their calling, 
rather than uh, all the other things that the, all the other things can be can be hired. Now, I do want pastors to be aware of business practices, of systems and structures. I think pastors need to take short courses on how to read a financial statement, for example. <laughs> I think pastors need to know how to uh, not make a budget, but at least in, engage with the budget in an informed kind of a way. I think the pastor has to learn how to uh, recruit high-level people. A pastor has to improve their communication skills on a regular basis. And a pastor has to do all those things. And there are many, many other things. But Jeff, to your question, uh, I think the tension is when we think that we can get both in the same package and sometimes that's not possible. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're obviously big fans of the church. That's not our point, but certainly the church always has room for growth and improvement. And it's good for us to do assessments and evaluations of our hearts and our motivations. So this is the point behind my particular statement or question. We have a lot of young pastors who are seeking sort of the advancement roles into larger churches. And so they develop the CEO skills. They develop the, the, um, the charismatic uh, sort of approaches or the, the relational network um, pieces that allow them to advance from one church to the next church, which is bigger to the next church, which is bigger. I think, I think there's a little bit of a reckoning happening in our culture right now that that is not allowing for some of that to happen, especially with COVID and, you know, those kinds of things where we're, it's starting to catch up with us. And I think one of my great mentors, Rick Warren says, the grass is always greener where you grow it. Right. I mean, he, he said that to me so many times, like the grass is always greener where you grow it. So the question is, how do we how do we take this design and this desire to make things grow, to get things better or even bigger? Numbers are not a sin. Right. That's not the point. But how do we take all of this energy and this knowledge and really invest it where we are when things don't seem like maybe it's a burden issue? Maybe it's a calling issue. Uh, maybe it's a community connectivity issue. I don't know. How do we invest where we are and how do we know when, when that investment or that time is expired maybe, and it's time to move? So that's a great question, Rob. Mm. And I'm thinking about where to, where to start on that one. So let, let me, let me kind of jump into, jump into the middle. There's nothing wrong with a staff person to keep honing their skills to get to a place where they feel like they are totally fulfilled. There's nothing wrong with mobility in the kingdom of God. So So if you are a youth pastor listening to me right now, if you're a worship leader listening to me right now, if, if, if you are uh, the community pastor, the small groups pastor, or you're running the cameras in a church yeah. or whatever, please know there's nothing wrong with your desires, your godly ambitions to serve God in a larger space that allows for your gifts to continue to increase. So there's nothing wrong with that. Amen. However, I think your question has to be informed theologically or biblically, let's call it like that. Your question has to be informed biblically because I have to believe in a few things. Number one, there's a sovereign God. 
Number two, he's got a GPS on me. <laughs> he knows where I am doing what I'm doing. Number three, I think more importantly, is to really buy into the notion biblically that all increase, all promotion comes from the Lord. If I could believe that, then I leave the promotion up to him. And the timing of the promotion up to him. And not just the promotion and the timing of it, but the location, all that up to him. Uh, you know, there's, 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 there's no reason for an immigrant from India. I, I landed, Jeff and Rob, I landed in United States of America in August of 1973 with literally 87 cents in my pocket, literally. So I've, I've I had to go get stuff out of dumpsters at grocery stores to have lunch. Uh, I know what it is to go hungry here. And, and, and I am sitting here talking to you all, getting in my head, uh, saying to myself, so how did I get here? I didn't get here. I was brought here. Mm. I was brought here by hundreds, even thousands of people. I've had champions in my life. I mean, people have taken me in, people have fed me, people have clothed me, people bought shoes for me, people put tires on my car, people put gas in my car. People, I mean, Larry King, Larry King, he was a, a student with me, a freshman class, and he one day he looked at me and he said, hey man, I wanna buy you some clothes. So he took me down in Atlanta, down Glenwood Avenue to the Goodwill store, gave me 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 1973, in Goodwill store, good God almighty. We're talking about a boatload of clothes, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, so I'm not sitting here talking to you all because I have come here, I've been brought here. And, and but but, it was not people who brought me. Yes, it was people who brought me here, but it was God's grace and favor and guidance in their lives to be able to bring me here. So I have to believe there's a sovereign God, number one. I have to believe that he's watching me right now and seeing what kind of job I'm doing. He has a GPS on me. He's looking at not only what I'm doing, the attitude with which I'm doing. And if I'm giving 100% of myself to the place I'm in right now, at the location I'm in right now? It, or am I working for this church but putting resumes out for that church? I'm gonna give this church 100% of what they are paying me to do. He's got a GPS on me. He, he rewards me. All rewards come from the Father. And mm. then I have to believe that every bit of my life, you know, we, we preach about it, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Well, does live righteously then. And what does living righteously mean? <laughs> living righteously means work with integrity, work with your competency, give it your very best, be a student, be a learner, never think of yourself as a scholar, never think you've arrived, stay humble, stay you know, learning, posture, and, and, and he's going to direct your path. Leave it with him. So that's a long answer to a short question, Rob. That's phenomenal. That's yes. a lot of, lot of answer. Yeah, it's a great answer. And I probably didn't ask a very clear question. So I went around no. my foot to get to my elbow, I think. No, that was, that was, yeah, I took lots of notes there. So I'm trying to gather my thoughts because I'm thinking about what you said. And so how do we, 
and you, you sort of unpacked it, like stay faithful in the lane you're in. We've heard that from other guests here, um, that God rewards us. So help us understand what is our responsibility in the effort and what is God's responsibility in the promotion? Because sometimes I think we do go seeking promotion or we go seeking skills to get to the next level. So, so help us refine down sort of what is our responsibility as, as a growing leader, pastor, minister, teacher, and what do we just leave to God? So I, I give, get my answer from well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, I know many of you are probably taking hermeneutics this semester, so <laughs> don't throw me under the bus on that one. But well done. Uh, here are the two words, good and faithful. Goodness comes from the Lord. Bible tells us none of us are good. On our best day, we are like that filthy rag in the garage. So good comes from the Lord. Faithful on the other side comes from us. And faithful simply means, are you willing to multiply what God has given to you? Remember when Jesus comes, uh, my friend John Bevere just wrote a book on that called, simply called Multiply. And I did a webinar with him and Lisa Bevere, what, three nights ago. Uh, it was crazy good. Thousands of people all over the world tuned into what the three of us were pontificating about. Uh, and uh, so John's book simply says, it reminds us in the talents uh, that multiplication was considered faithfulness. So the question is, how do I multiply myself? How do I multiply myself? I multiply myself in my godliness. I multiply myself in my competency. I multiply myself in my skill set. I multiply myself finding that X factor and leaning into it. I multiply myself in my relationships because you will get ahead in life because of relationships. Mm -hmm. So uh, if I could take just a wee bit longer on this and uh, I'm not hawking my book because I'm not gonna do that. Uh, in April, I came out with a book simply called The Sequence to Success in which I talk about your life is built on three O's, the letter O, three O's. And I think this will answer your question there too. Uh, number one is observation. Number two is opinion. Number three is opportunities. So somebody observes you. Number two, they form an opinion about you and then they give you an opportunity. So one of the janitor, breakfast cook, dishwasher, somebody observed me. <laughs> somebody formed an opinion of me. And then somebody gave me an opportunity. When I was a youth pastor in Portland, Oregon, it's 1979, 1980, somebody observed me. <laughs> somebody formed an opinion and hence came an opportunity. So the question is, what are people observing about you now? Yeah. And are you giving them enough to observe to form a positive opinion of you? Because your opportunity will not come out of you making the opportunity. Every opportunity I've ever had in life was not created by me. It was created by somebody else. So for example, this opportunity I have to talk to you, Rob and Jeff, it didn't, I didn't create this. You, so, so that thousands upon thousands of people worldwide who are listening to us right now, I would have never had that opportunity had you not opened the door for me. And I think once you know that, the good and faithful, 
That means my faithfulness has to be intact. I've got to study. What does Paul say? Study to show yourself approved. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because your approval <laughs> becomes the basis for what happens next in your life. So, what am I studying? How am I getting better? Uh, and I'm always, you know, I'm always wanting to improve myself. And I want, I said it earlier, I'm a work in progress, but boy, you know, I want to be a better communicator. I want to be a better thought leader. I want to be more incisive. <laughs> I want to be able to answer in short answers. <laughs> and I want to be able to ask shorter questions. <laughs> I mean, we're this, all working hard. We're all working hard, right? Now, I, I, man, these are gold conversations, which is why I call you the leadership guru, right? So it's a title well earned. Um, we had a friend on the show recently, Sean Lovejoy, who you probably know, I think, uh, Sean. Um, I'm very anyway, well. Great man. So he, he talks about being a cultural architect. And uh, so this culture identity um, of an organization, which there's a lot of, and I think there's a lot more organizational health material being developed even as we speak, right? But what it is about this architectural, this cultural architect from a ministry perspective in the, in the organization of the church or the organization of ministry that is so critical for, for us to understand and grasp? Well, this is going to sound like such a self-serving question so I might as well go go over there so I have a I wrote a book a number of years ago it was at that time it was called cracking a church's culture code Mm -hmm. well since then it got bought out by another publisher who renamed it all they did was change the cover and the title it's the same book Uh, yeah that's what publishers do So, (laughs) so they bought that book they changed the cover title and now it's called Culture Catalyst. You can get it any way you want to. So that was one of the first few books written on organizational culture that was focused on the church. And my thesis sentence in there was a uh, was, uh, uh, repurposing of Peter Drucker's statement. Mm-hmm. And, and my statement in the book is, a, a toxic culture will eat vision for lunch. So... Culture is the atmosphere that you that you create. Some people call it organizational behaviors. Uh, culture is the plate on which you put your salmon or your steak. Culture, culture is the is is the atmosphere in which things happen. My definition of culture is this is how we do things here. So Lee University has a culture that's different from any other culture, any other university, and as it should be. Every house has a culture. Every restaurant has a culture. Every home has a culture, every family, every, every, every church, every, every place has its own culture. So an, another resource I ca- can talk to you about that I developed uh, years ago with the help of uh, about two or three Georgia tech professors. It is a very empirical data-driven uh, culture survey. It is free. Uh, thousands of churches all over the world have taken it. It's simply called the Sam Chant Culture Survey. Mm-hmm. samchantculturesurvey.com. It is free. You get eight pages of notes. The first page will give you empirical data. It's anonymous, by the way. I don't get to see it. I, so thousand churches have taken it. I have not s- seen anyone unless they send it to me. Uh, so uh, Sam Chant, that's my name, leadership, uh, culturesurvey.com. And uh, you'll get the first page will be the empirical data. Uh, we went measure you on, uh, on seven on seven issues, 
and give you a scale of all the way from inspiring to toxic, tell you where you're at numerically, mm -hmm. empirically. And uh, then uh, the next seven pages will explain how, where you are, a narrative on where you are, and how did you get there, and what you can do to improve your culture. But I think unless we are culturally and attuned, uh, we will be missing a great opportunity. So Sean Lovejoy, a great friend of mine, is right that you have to be an architect of culture. And culture is created at the top, sustained from the bottom, destroyed from the middle. Mm. It's created at the top, sustained from the bottom, destroyed from the middle. Every organization, I've been doing what I do for 30 years plus, uh, and every organization that I've seen become self-destructive, the erosion of the culture started in mid-management. Whatever you consider mid-management at your organization, that is where culture erosion starts. But nobody's paying attention to them, but that is where culture erosion starts. Wow, that's, yeah, I've, I've never heard that framework that it, it's destroyed from the middle. That's, that's a lot to think on. I have so many questions. So, so Jeff, can I <laughs> Jeff, can I recommend a good book to you? Yeah, I love a good book. Yeah, Culture Catalyst by Sam Chen. <laughs> Culture Catalyst. <laughs> Anywhere you can find books. And, uh, of course, that's a, I'm, 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 I bought it. Thrift, probably thrift books I can buy used with somebody else's notes in it. I don't know. Yeah. So one of the things you do, Sam, shift gears just a little bit, is you're the founder of the Dream Releaser Coaching so I have this question, does everybody have a dream or is it just select people who have a dream? What, where are you finding these dreamers? I believe everybody has a dream. I, I remember one time years ago, Jeff, I was driving through Soweto, a suburb of Johannesburg, which is the world's largest slum, Soweto. Uh, that's where you'll find Nelson Mandela's original home and so on and so forth. And then I was driving through there, I saw kids on the street. And I still remember that seminal moment in my, in my mind when I looked at those kids on the street and I said to myself, they all have a dream. Hmm. Their dream might be food for the next week, for the next day. Their dream might be a bicycle. Their dream might be school. Their dream might be shoes. But everyone's got a dream. Now people give up on dreams very easily because there are a whole lot of dream killers out there. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, anybody who's been in church knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, <laughs> there are a lot of dream killers out there. Oh, I don't know, you know, there's already so many, so many people are already doing podcasts. Jeff, Rob, what's wrong with you all? I mean, that's a crowded market. Why do you wanna do that? And what are you gonna call it, leadership drip? Are you serious? You know, <laughs> so, so there, are, there are dream killers everywhere, mm -hmm. rather than somebody saying, hey, you're going to be great. You're going to be amazing. And you know, here's a thousand bucks for you to get started. And, and that is how uh, I believe that everyone's got a dream. So I, I remember years ago, I was consulting with a very large church pastor in Chicago. And he looked at me, he said, Sam Chand, you know who you are? I said, no, I'm a, I know you're about to tell me who I am. <laughs> he said, you are a dream releaser. I said, hmm. oh, I never thought of it like that. And hence the name dream releaser came about Jeff in which I live for other people. My, my definition of leadership is one word, others. Wow. That's one word, others. So 
You've seen my website, samgen.com, where I talk about my vision is helping others succeed. So I just focus on others, helping them release their dreams. So we started this coaching program. It's uh, 11 years old now. Hundreds of people have graduated from there and they become certified life coaches and uh, executive coaches. We are uh, accredited by ICF, International Coach Federation, which is the world's largest and only <laughs> coaching accrediting association. So, and our curriculum is Christian, but it's approved by ICF. So uh, we, we train people to be coaches and then they make money coaching other people. But yes, I think everyone has a dream. And if people had more dream releasers in their life, rather than dream killers, <laughs> life would be much better. Yeah, well, which kind of leads into to our next question. We, we talk a lot about on this show about mentorship, um, reverse mentoring, learning from young adults, and just finding good mentors and how to do it. Um, and so people need mentors. I know that you've had mentors. You've already talked about some of the people who have invested in your life um, in some of the most unique and needed ways, food, shoes, clothes, etc. So in this conversation of mentorship, um, who were some of those key mentors in your life and what did they contribute? So right now, uh, Rob, I've got 13 mentors in my life. 13, one, three, 13 mentors in my life. And this is how I chose 13. I started asking myself, this is years ago, by the way, I started asking myself, Sam, what are the areas of growth in your life that you need? What are the areas of accountability that you need in your life? And I made a long list and consolidated it into 13. So for example, one of them helps me with my marriage. Another one helps me with my business. Another one helps me with my vision. Another one helps me with my finances, that kind of thing. Another one helps me with my spirituality. Uh, those kind of things. There's another, there's a couple who just helped me process my crazy ideas. I have, I have crazy ideas of what I want to do. <laughs> and they will talk me off the limb or they will say, go after it, that kind of stuff. You know, they, they've helped me process all that stuff. So I've got 13 mentors that I uh, am in contact with. And, and I, and I uh, received their, uh, their gifts in my life uh, regularly and sporadically. So it's not like I have lunch with every one of them every month uh, or anything like that. Most of them are on as needed basis. Some of them are more into my life than others, but they're all available to me. So that is how I have organized voices. I call it voices in my life. And I, and I live a complicated life in the sense of uh, wanting to live long, living clean. <laughs> I don't want to make uh, the same errors that others have made mm. uh, heaven forbid and I'm saying that with humility not with arrogance uh, I just want to have voices in my life who have permission to speak freely mm. so I don't know if I'm answering a question but no, no, you, you, you are and yeah. I think it's like I, I think it's great um, that we ask a question about mentors and you talk about the people in your life right now because you're, you mentioned you're age 69 by all measures of human success, you've been successful. And I would guess the Lord sees you as such as well with your faithfulness. And you could easily just kind of keep coasting into the finish line. Yes. But at, at this stage of your life, you still have coaches. You still have voices. You still have people who are checks and balances. You still have dreams even. Um, 
And so I think I appreciate that as a, as a, a generation behind yours going, Hey, we've never achieved the end till it's the end. We got to keep growing. And I think for anybody listening, I think that's, that's one of the great takeaways of this conversation is no matter where you are in this journey, you have to keep growing and keep getting coached and keep getting held accountable and keep moving forward. And, and I think that's a gift to anybody. Cause, cause I, I sit with you, Sam, I'm a dreamer. And what I found is most of my dreams never get pursued. So what would you say to a guy like me who, who has a notebook full of dreams and hesitation to chase them? So can I answer the, before I answer the question, can I make a comment about yeah. an earlier comment you made? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just because I'm 69 and have some measure of whatever people call success and so on and so forth, <clears throat> I got to remind myself, the devil is not sitting around saying, you know, that's Sam Chan, can't touch him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because if I take Sam Chan down, that will disillusion a lot of people who have given me their confidence. Yeah. The two of you included. Yeah. And uh, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions who have read my books and the platforms I've stood on. So the older I get, the bigger target I become. Mm. And so I have to be more cognizant <laughs> of what Dr. Chester Miller said to me in 1980 in that parking lot as a young pastor at the age of 26, when he said, live long, live clean. And I have to be real careful that I <laughs> do not <clears throat> ease up yeah and take my foot off the gas now back to back to your dreams so there are four questions we ask ourselves when we talk about dreams one is where are we or where am i <clears throat> number two is where do i want to go number three is what or who is in the way i'll repeat those in a minute and number four is how do we get there how do we get there Question number one is, where are we? Where am I? Question number two is, where do I want to go? Question number three is, what or who is in the way? And question number four is, how do we get there? If you can answer those questions sequentially, it allows your dreams to start taking traction. Mm. Because every dream has to have a traction point. So Jeff, in my life, I'll tell you how I've handled dreams. I've had amazing dreams. Uh, some of them have come true and some of them were non-starters and some of them, thank God it never happened. <laughs> <Yes>. So, <laughs> oh boy, thank God for unanswered prayers, huh? The old country's gone. Hey, Garth Brooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whenever I have a dream, Jeff, the first question that goes through my mind after I've gone through those four questions there, yeah. the first question that comes to my mind is, who can help me? It's not money. It's not organization. It is not, do I need to be an S-Corp or a 501c3? Uh, do I, how do I organize myself, my bylaws, my budget? None of those. My, because in my life, I've lived long enough to say this to you. On this earth, I know the Bible says my help comes from the Lord. I get that and I believe that and live by that. 
But on this planet, God has used people. Every, every time is God's used people to get me to where I need to go. He's always used people. So my first question is always, who can help me? Mm. And I make a list of those people. And I start talking to them about that. So if I could, if I could uh, take uh, 20 seconds on each one of those four questions, where are we? So you, you do an audit of your ecosystem. Where are you relationally? Where are you emotionally? Where are you in your bandwidth? Where are you in your capacity? Where are you financially? Where are you, where are you in your life? Where, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? You, it, it's like going to the mall and uh, looking in the directory and where you're standing as the star says, you are here. To do a reality check, where, where are you? Number two, where do you want to go? You got to be really specific where you want to go. Otherwise, the Alice in Wonderland question, you know, any road will take you there. And the third one is what or who is in the way? Sometimes the who is you is in the way and your small thinking and your negativity and, and all the voices that are in the back of your head of, of people saying, have you prayed about it? You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So uh, where, uh, what or who is in the way? And number four, how do we get there? And after that, I just ask myself, who do I need to talk to? Because most dreams die because people never put it out in the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so in, in the Garden of Eden, when God created the world, the Bibles, and he spoke the world into existence. So here's the thing. The first words mentioned in the Bible were not to communicate, but to create. And I think you've got to have a, those safe friendships and safe places where you can say, this is my dream. And you got to get it in the atmosphere, put words to it, get the right people around it, because it's only going to be people who can help you release your dream. Why do you want to die a woulda, coulda, shoulda? Yeah. I'd much rather dry, die failing than never try. You're, you're echoing conversations we had over lunch. Yeah. Today. Not, yeah. Not, not yesterday, but today. <laughs> today over lunch. <laughs> these are these are the, the, the exact, wrestling points of our, of our hearts. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, uh, all right, all right. So if you were starting a church right now, Rob or Jeff, I'd discourage you from doing that. But if you were starting a church today, <laughs> that's another conversation for another time. But if you were starting a church today, the first thing you do is to create a launch team, right? Yeah. Right. And the launch team will be comprised of your closest friends and relatives and people who believe in you, right? Right, right. That's how you launch your dreams. Don't talk to that relative who's always been raining on your parade. Yeah. But that is the proclivity of human nature. We are always seeking approval from the people who've denied approval all our lives. Wow. And we yeah. think this time they're going to get excited about it. Just cut them out of your life. Just let them go. Wow. Quarantine them. Yeah. Sam, I, um, there are so many questions and conversations I still want to have, but I know we're getting close to the end of the show here. And um, we certainly want to ask you the final question. So we ask every guest on our show, the, the same final question. And uh, I'm going to be really interested to see what yours is, uh, your answer is to this question. But um, what is one thing that you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Oh, that's a great question. I have to echo and regurgitate everything I've just said and put into one word, relationships. Mm. 
relationships. I, I, I cannot overemphasize how your life is built on relationships. So stop living transactionally, start living relationally. So that's the one lesson that classroom did not teach me, but I learned in life. It will be friends and people who believe in you because the best gift a human being gives to another is believe in them. That's the mm, best, yeah. best gift anybody gives somebody else. Yeah. So, it's, so build relationships, especially in college, because college relationships are different from other kind of relationships. College relationships tend to last for a lifetime. And uh, those, those relationships, so just, just lean into relationships yeah. and don't make a transaction. It's not, it's not reciprocity. If I do this, you do that. And then stay open to disappointment relationship, but yeah, be hungry for relationships. That's mm -hmm. great. And, and before we come on the air, I want to make mention that you made, you're making some resources available to our listeners. Uh, one is the artofleadership.com. There's a resource there. The Avail Journal, they're going to get a free year subscription to a yeah. leadership journal from Sam and his team. It's a high quality leadership journal color magazine going to get delivered to their house not it's not electronic it's an actual hard copy journal, journal yeah. which nerds like me like to hold things in their hands Same. and then you also mentioned um the samchanculturesurvey.com um, as a resource you have two new books the sequence of success harnessing the power of tension so make sure to check those out and apparently i'm buying the culture catalyst myself this week so <laughs> but the those first two things the avail leadership journal and the art of leadership.com are free resources for our listeners yeah please check those out get get a hold of the, those this conversation is tip of the iceberg type stuff yes. of what you're going to get from those resources this is an incredible leadership conversation and sam as we always say here at the leadership drip you have a seat at the table thanks for coming on buddy Thank you. Hey, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.